Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Professional Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. I'm Paul Valley. Last week we talked about Austin Hayes and his potential opening day roster spot. We talked about the starting rotation, namely Mike Wright and his positioning as possibly the fourth or fifth starter in the rotation. And we also talked about what to expect from the ball club as they head into a, the 2019 season after a dismal 2018 campaign. A lot has happened with the team over the last week since we last uh, spoke together. Uh, there were a, a few demotions or reassignments, if you will, to minor league camp, namely Cody Carroll, Ryan Mountcastle, Gabriel Inoa, and Austin Hayes. Cody Carroll was pitched to a 2.57 ERA over seven innings this spring uh, with nine strikeouts and a .86 whip. He certainly made his case to join the bullpen to start the year, but Mike Elias and company decided they wanted him to get down to the minor league level again and prove that he can really have success down there before bringing him back up to the major league roster. Last year in 46 and a third innings pitched with uh, a AAA, he gave up no home runs. Then he comes up to the major league level, pitches 17 innings out of the bullpen for Baltimore, and he gives up six home runs. So they really want Cody Carroll to go back down there, have some success, and then hopefully bring him up for good uh, for the 2019 season and beyond. Ryan Mountcastle, not a spectacular spring, but not a bad spring either. He hit 273, one home run, five RBIs. Still has opportunities to come over from minor league camp to join the ball club in these spring training games as we enter the last week of the spring training Grapefruit League schedule. Most scouts and pundits will tell you that Mountcastle's bat is major league ready. It's his defense that needs to work, and that's mainly why he went down to the minor league camp. They're, they want to work on his defense at third base and also potentially try to transition Mountcastle over the first base. He really doesn't have a true position, and they don't want to relegate him to a DH role. So for now, they're working with him at, two, at the corner infield spots, and hopefully he can stick somewhere because the Orioles are going to want his bat in the coming months and years on that roster. Gabriel Inoa, we talked a little bit about last week. If you recall, we said that he had eight innings pitched, no walks, and only one earned run allowed, along with eight Ks this spring. We said that he has no options, which is true. The deal with him is he was signed to a minor league contract, so he actually can go down to the minor league camp without having to be exposed to waivers. It's once he's on the major league club, once he's on the 40-man roster and added to the active roster, that they can't send him back down. And I think it's because of that alone that he's actually back down in minor league camp. You see, with Inoa, they want to have the flexibility, especially in the early weeks of the season, that if the rotation struggles, they can have guys that they can bring in from the bullpen, if they need to option guys back down, they want to have the flexibility to be able to do that with the bullpen. And right now, we know it doesn't provide them with that flexibility. I think eventually we will see him on the major league club uh, for his sake, hopefully to stay, but that's up to him. He has to pitch well. So we'll see how that goes there. But just wanted to kind of clear up a little bit of the confusion that people may have had after we said he had no options last week and then he gets optioned, or not optioned, but reassigned this week. And then the main one that was very surprising, if you recall, Dylan Atkinson from Utah Street Report, and I spoke about this at length last week, Austin Hayes, hitting 351 this spring. He leads the club in home runs with five and RBIs with 13. And he was starting in right field against the Yankees last Wednesday or last Tuesday, and we thought he had the inside track for the opening day right field position. Then Sunday he wakes up, and he's been reassigned to minor league camp. For all intents and purposes, he seemed to do everything he needed to do to make the ball club out of spring training. Kind of like when Marcakis 
forced the Orioles' hand in 2006 or when Mancini forced the Orioles' hand in 2017 to put them on the roster because they played too well to not warrant a position. For me, I personally believe that Hayes got sent down for service time. Michael Elias will tell you different. He says that has nothing to do with it, though what else is he supposed to say? Um, it's not exactly you know, legal in Major League Baseball to do that for service time or at least come out and say that. So, of course, he's going to say they want him to go down there and work on his defense, work on improving from last season to this season. Everybody knows he had a bit of a down year at Bowie last year, but that was also because of the shoulder and then the ankle injuries. <clears throat> I think he is very much in the Orioles' plans for this season and beyond. I did find it pretty intriguing that Elias said that they envision him in center field for the foreseeable future, which leads to the question of what they're going to do with Cedric Mullins. With that in mind, I'd like to kick it over to our guest for this week's show, Ken Wyman of 105.7 The Fan. Ken, welcome to the Payoff Pitch. Thanks for joining me today. How are we doing today, man? I'm good, dude. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you on. So we were just talking about uh, Austin Hayes and how he got reassigned over the weekend, and it looked like he had the inside track to be the Orioles starting at least maybe the right fielder on the opening day, leading the team in the spring in home runs and RBIs, but he got reassigned to minor league camp. Uh, tell us your thoughts on that. So on the surface, it looks kind of weird. But for me, at least, this is a team, and this is going to be a weird year for the Orioles because, and I'm a fan first and foremost, so it's going to be odd to look at things this way. But we're not looking at today. We're looking at tomorrow. And Austin Hayes, who looked great this spring, had an awful year last year. Between injuries and everything else, he was not good. He's never played a triple-A just because he had a really good spring training doesn't mean necessarily that he couldn't use some more seasoning in the minor leagues. So I, I got to admit, I am totally 100% on board with Michael Elias right now. Uh, and I, I feel like if they feel he needs to be down there a little longer, that's fine. Uh, I think he'll be up here at some point, but it, it's not that big a deal that he's not here on opening day. All right, and to add to that, uh, you said you're on board with what Mike Elias is doing. Mike Elias, after they reassigned him, said that they envisioned him being in center field for them for the foreseeable future, paraphrasing a little bit there. What do you think that means for Cedric Mullins with regards to his spot on the team? I think it means that they're not overly impressed with Cedric Mullins, and Cedric Mullins has not had a good spring. And, you know, it's interesting when they brought him up last year, it's, hey, he looks okay. He didn't have – you know, it's, it, it's part of it is that the Orioles – farm system isn't great. So while we felt he was deserving of a call up in another organization, he may not have been. So, uh, I think that, you know, the, the, the clock has started as far as Cedric Mullins watch. If, if he struggles to start the season, I assume he's going to make the team to start the season. Uh, there, there's going to be a, a lot of changeover in this roster during the year. And I don't think it's guaranteed that Cedric Mullins is a long-term answer here in Baltimore. Yeah, Ken, I tend to agree about Cedric Mullins. I think that if he can't prove that he can hit left-handed pitching, he may not be long for this roster in the long term. Sure. Switching gears here a little bit, any good legitimate baseball team should probably have anywhere from six to eight stars that can pitch for them in a pinch, whether it's from fatigue from a pitcher or injury or just out of necessity. Right now, the Orioles only have three legitimate starters, and based on last year, I use that term loosely. Alex Cobb, Andrew Kashner, and Dylan Bundy are slated for the top three mm -hmm. spots in the rotation. And then you have uh, the trio of Mike Wright, um, David Hess, and Josh Rogers vying for those last two rotation spots. How do you feel about that trio and the possibility the Orioles could even use an opener every now and again for that rotation spot? 
So I'll start by prefacing that I swear I'm not trying to sound like a jerk here, but again, because of what they're doing, I, I this is the first time in my life I'm ever saying this too about the Orioles. I don't care who's in the last two rotation spots because um, we're there. I've acknowledged they're not trying to win, uh, and I think that's going to change. I don't. I don't love David Hess. Mike Wright's had a rel- well. He had a great spring until recently. But I don't trust Mike Wright. I don't trust Jeffrey Ramirez. Uh, I'd love to see Hunter Harvey stay healthy for a, a, a long period of time. But with these pitchers, I, I think this is going to be part of, of the of the learning curve of, of watching a team in rebuild. Uh, I, I'd, I'd say if you looked at the Astros roster year one of their rebuild, not many guys were there. At the end. By the way, Jonathan VR was on that team. Uh, and so he has, he gets to experience it twice, but, uh, I just, I, I think what I'm going to enjoy personally is finding those guys that we don't realize are those guys yet. Does that make sense? Like seeing what, who these, who the, the stars of tomorrow are going to be for the Orioles. You know, it's funny. Usually you ask me this question about the, rota- the rotation as we're less than two weeks out to opening day. I usually am all over this roster up and down and all over who's like the maybe 26 through 30. But this year it's like a completely, at least for me, it's a completely different vibe because I don't know yet. I can't figure out yet what Mike Elias is thinking and what Brandon Hyde's thinking. And by the way, I love the fact that they're on the same page. And I I just know that a lot of these guys aren't going to be here when it matters. So I'm just sort of biding my time, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense to me. You know, with, with all that in mind about Mike Elias and Hyde vibing together and, you know, the direction of the ball club, what would you say would be realistic expectations for the season? Is there anything that fans can get excited about after a 115-loss season? Because on paper, it doesn't look like the team's going to be very good. What are, what are you looking forward to this season? I'm looking forward to seeing the guys that I think have a chance to be here when it matters again. And I'm identifying those guys and I'm looking forward to seeing the plan as it gets put out because we're not hundred percent sure what that plan is. Uh, I, you have a little bit of an idea if you read Astro ball, but it's not going to be the same and it's harder because the AL East is harder than the, the AL West. But uh, I, I think it's just going to be interesting to see how they do this and, and by the way, if they win 60 games, what's that? 15 more wins than last year. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's ridiculous. That shows you how bad they were. And, and the scariest part about that, they were trying to win last year. They came into the season thinking they could contend and they lost 115 games. So I, I, the problem is, and this is going to be the most frustrating part, and I talk about this on my show all the time, this, they've had two bad years. But this is year one of the rebuild. So it's it's year three, but it's year one. So it's, it's I think, going to weigh down on fans. But if you're honest with yourself, you'd rather them do it this way than half-ass it and sign a pitcher here or there and then try to throw stuff against a wall to figure out who your third outfielder is. You know, they never replaced Nick Marcakis. They never replaced Nelson Cruz. They've been they, – they have – been eternally frustrating and and god bless dan duquette buck show walter they got this team back to respectability but i felt like at times they did it in spite of themselves and i think a lot of that was because of ownership and also because buck and dan didn't get along but i just i'm looking forward to seeing how this process goes and i think that fans should enjoy that instead of what we've seen the last two years right 
And you're mentioning looking forward to these players are going to be part of the rebuild and part of being the next future of the, of the ball club. Uh, and that brings to mind these extensions that just came out yesterday. Uh, we all know Mike Trout, best player in baseball, got 12 years, $430 million, an astronomical number, but if any player is deserving of that, it's him. But then you look at Alex Bregman, he got six years, $100 million. And the lesser-known player, Brandon Lowe of the Rays, he got six years, $24 million, uh, number 93 uh -huh. overall prospect from Baseball America. Um, Orioles have two or three prospects at a rate higher than him. And that led me to, to question, who do you foresee being the next Oriole to get a contract extension if there are any of them? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Paul, I don't – off the top of my head, uh, I don't think that guy – I'm trying to think around the diamond. Uh, how about uh, uh, Adley Rushman? <laughs> I like it. To get an extension. Uh, I like. I don't see it. Maybe Austin Hayes is that guy. Trey Mancini possibly, but I think Trey Mancini's playing out of position and it's hurting him. They need to get him to first base. I think he will play first base at some point. I, 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 I don't know if you're going here. I think Chris Davis is going to be gone at some point. I think they're just going to cut bait because they have to, and the, and the, the they their salary is going to be so low they can not that they want to eat it but it's going to be more palatable to eat it. I think Trumbo is going to be gone soon. Uh, I think anybody that's a veteran ish could be gone at some point, you know, what's the cashers only got a year left. So it, I, as far as who that guy is, remember Tampa Bay won 90 games last year. So they're, they're well ahead of the Orioles. I don't know if I can tell you for, for certainty who that next guy is. The Orioles are going to extend because quite frankly, I, I don't see a, a lot here yet. I, I agree with you. I agree with you on all points. Uh, Davis and Trumbo, I, I think that their leash is very short, especially with the, uh, a new regime in the front office and in the dugout. And with, like you said, maybe Trey Mancini, but I, I, I tend to agree that, that that player is probably not on the roster yet. So, Ken, really great stuff, man. I, I really enjoy listening to your takes on the Orioles. You're one of the more impassioned Orioles fans I've had the pleasure to listen to. And really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks a lot, man. Hey, anytime, buddy. Thank you. Absolutely. You have a great day. Hey, you too, man. Thanks. All right, before we continue, I want to tell you about our brand new sponsor on the payoff pitch, DNL Professional Window Tinting. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch, and thanks again to Ken Wyman for coming on with us today. Wanted to expand a little bit on one of the topics that Ken and I talked about, and that's the Orioles starting rotation. And that's probably going to be a main topic throughout the season that we're discussing on this show because it's a main problem with the ball club. Right now, the Orioles only have three legitimate starters in Alex Cobb, Andrew Kashner, and Dylan Bundy. And based on last year's numbers, they leave a lot to be desired. Right now, they have three guys fighting for the last two rotational spots in Mike Wright, David Hess, and Josh Rogers. Um, Mike Wright got off to a hot start, as we discussed last week, but then over his last seven and two-thirds innings pitched, he's given up six earned runs and four home runs, which is more the Mike Wright that we're used to right now, and he's not really, over the last two outings, 
giving Orioles, the Orioles franchise or the fans a lot to get excited about. Same thing can be said for David Hess. Hess was supposed to go tonight against the Red Sox, but with the rain out yesterday, the starters got pushed back, so it's going to be Dylan Bundy tonight against the Red Sox. And that's probably best for Hess because he needs to come in and have a little bit of success. His last outing on March 15th against the Minnesota Twins, he went just two and two-thirds innings pitch. He gave up nine hits, nine earned runs, and four home runs, which is awful by any stretch of the imagination. Needs to be better than that. Needs to be the pitcher that pitched a 388 ERA down the stretch over his last 10 starts last year rather than the guy who just gave up four home runs to a, to a Twins team in spring training. Then there's Josh Rogers, who will come in after David Hess in, tomorrow, in tomorrow's game. He also came in after Hess against the Twins, went three in the third innings, gave up seven hits, three earned runs, and two home runs. And over his last nine innings, 14 hits, six runs, and four home runs. So if these are the Orioles' three rotational sp uh, options for the last two spots in that rotation, it's going to be a long year if they're pitching the, like that. If they pitch up to the capabilities that we hope that they have, that we've seen flashes of, it could be a different story. And the Orioles have to be pulling for Josh Rogers simply because of the fact that the other four starters are going to be right-handed. He would be the only left-handed option in the rotation. So they're hoping that he can step up and maybe you know, grab onto that final rotation spot. As it is, they're going to be leaning on the bullpen anyway, which leads us back to what we were talking about before Ken came on, talking about the moving pieces in the bullpen, needing the flexibility. Again, why Noah probably isn't in the squad just yet because they need that flexibility. A bad rotation is going to need to lean on a strong bullpen. And when you think about what Mike Elias said in the last week, saying how he wants the Orioles pitchers to really decrease the damage, they get hit hard third time through the order. I have some numbers here. Uh, Alex Cobb, 312 batting average against and a 916 OPS the third time through the order. Andrew Kashner, 340 with a 1027 OPS. Dylan Bundy, 289 with an 897 OPS. Now, those numbers are significantly higher than their career numbers in, that, in those categories, but still, it's a scary concept to think about those guys going through the third time in the order, and that's facing 18 batters. If they face 18 batters at the minimum, they're getting you at most six innings pitched before you're thinking about going to that bullpen. And that's assuming they don't give up any hits or any runs, which is usually not going to be the case on this ball club, if we're being honest. For the Orioles, they're going to need that strong bullpen. They're going to need these guys to be able to decrease the damage in the third time through the order. It's extremely important to the success of the ball club. And we're looking at limited success anyway, coming off a 115 loss season. Now, there are a couple of guys in the organization that we can get a little bit excited about. You look at Keegan Aiken, who last year for Bowie went 14-7 and with a 3-2-7 ERA. He led the, the team in Ks with 142, and he uh, pitched 137 two-thirds innings pitch. He was named the minor league pitcher of the year for the organization. He's a big lefty second-round pick out of Western Michigan in 2016 who could potentially make his debut this summer, I would fully expect that to be perfectly honest. Uh, then there's D.L. Hall, first round pick out of uh, Valdosta High School in Georgia, Valdosta high school, high school in Georgia, excuse me, in 2017. Led Orioles minor league starters in the ERA last year with a 2.10 ERA in 22 games and 20 uh, starts for Delmarva. I expect he would start probably at Frederick and hopefully work his way up to Bowie. I don't expect him or the other guy, Zach Lothar, who was a second round pick, to be on the ball club 
uh, at any point this year, but maybe next year. Lothar, another left-handed guy, 22 starts, 23 games for Delmarva and Frederick last year with a 218 ERA. That's a trio of lefties that the Orioles are really looking at to kind of help them in this rebuilding process. Again, we could see Keegan Aiken this year who could come up and help, especially if that rotation struggles a bit. And then there's Hunter Harvey, who sometimes gets a little bit forgot about because he really hasn't pitched over the last four seasons, whether it's Tommy John surgery or, you know, dodging foul balls in the dugout. Uh, last year pitched to a mid-fives ERA when he was in there. He came into camp this year. He was throwing 98 miles an hour. They, he was in the first round of cuts for no other reason than they want him to pitch on a regular schedule and they want him to be the guy that they drafted in the first round back in 2013. He has all the potential in the world. Hunter Harvey has a plus fastball, plus curveball. He can throw four pitches with command. He just needs to realize that potential, and he can really help the Orioles. And wouldn't be surprised if he has a good year if all things go right to see Hunter Harvey in that rotation towards the end of the year, late summer. We're talking maybe August or September call-up. Aside from that, wanted to talk a little bit about Michael Givens. Again, last week we talked about how he had a 30.38 ERA in his first few games uh, this spring. Wasn't having a lot of success. Well, Monday he went out after seeing something with his delivery and his mechanics on Friday. He made the adjustment, and on Monday he had a 1-2-3 inning to end the game. And he actually ended the game with a 97-mile-an-hour swinging strike three. Um, looked really good. Looked really good, and it gives the Orioles a lot of hope. Hopefully that he's maybe turned the corner this spring. This is a guy in his first three years went 18-3 and three with a 2.75 ERA. And then last year when everybody on the ball club took a step back, he went 0-7 with a 3.99 ERA for the team. And if he's going to be the closer for the team, or at least pitching in high leverage late situations and ball games, he's going to need to get back to that guy that they had the first three years. And he showed stretches of that, at the, especially at the end of the season when he pitched to a 1-4-5 ERA over his last 17 games. So hopefully Givens has turned the corner and can give the Orioles a reliable arm in that bullpen because, like I said, they're going to need some help from, the, from uh, that spot on the team. I want to end today with our nerd stat of the week. We're going to do a weekly segment where we're going to talk about saber metrics. I personally have had that John Smoltz stance where I've been very resistant to saber metrics. I'm very much of the old school mentality where I care about batting average on base percentage, home runs, RBIs. Show me that. Show me a guy who has high numbers in those, and I'm good. But baseball has changed its way of thinking over the last decade plus, and Sabermetrics is the way that the game is leaning, has been leaning for quite some time now. And, you know, if that's the way the game's going to go, I'm going to have to stick with it. So the first stat that we're going to talk about today is WOBA. Uh, and if you don't know what WOBA is, here is the formula for how to figure out WOBA. All right, now if your eyes just glazed over, the formula caused you to black out a little bit. Me too. Don't worry. We're going to keep moving forward here. Uh, just from a baseball perspective, I'll explain WOBA for you. Basically, it has the same leverage uh, almost as on base percentage, only instead of just accounting for how many times you reach base in a total number of plate appearances, it accounts for how you reach base. So you're going to get more points for a single than you would a walk, more points for a double than you would a single, more points for a triple than you would a double, etc. And basically, so in 2014, MLB.com had it listed that a home run was worth 2.101 times on base whereas a walk was worth .69 times on base. So if a player goes one for four in a game in 2014 with a home run and a walk, 
You simply add 2.101 and 0.69, divide that by the number of plate appearances, which is five, and their weighted on base average is 558 for that game. And that's pretty simplistic stuff. That's how you figure out WOBA. Uh, for me, uh, I'm really, I really like on-base percentage, so if it carries the same way as on-base percentage, Woba is a really important stat. It's a simple one to learn to start off with. Uh, if your player has a 350 weighted on-base average, they're probably an all-star player. If they have a 370 or higher on-base average, they're probably a main cog on your team that's hitting in the heart of your order for many years. So that's uh, an elite high-caliber player. Now, again, we can take that with a grain of salt because Chris Davis in 2015 had a uh, 390 with on base average, and we all know where he stands now. So, that is your nerd stat of the week Saber Metrics weighted on base average or WOBA. And that's going to do it for the show today. Once again, this has been the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Professional Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. Next week, we're going to talk about the Orioles opening day roster because opening day is the day after we shoot this show. So the roster is going to be where it's supposed to be. We'll dissect that. We'll talk about what we can look forward to, what we can expect from that original 25-man roster, which, as we all know, probably won't be the same roster maybe even a month into the season. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. And once again, I'm Paul Valley. See you next week.